0: Tune in. Tone up. The one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques, and advice. With me, Gary Schillerday and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In episode one of this podcast, Dan discusses the genre of the blues, including how to get a great tone. Keep listening for advice on how to improvise over blues chord progressions using modes and cross-referencing scales. At the end, listen to our jam. To think about the kind of basic soloing over blues, uh, blues changes, you know, E7, okay. A7, D7, and I wrote out the notes in that key for each each chord. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm not very quick at putting those notes out and stuff. And so just oh, so, so,
1: some some hints. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, going kind to of playing over a 12 bar they they reserve they kind of revert back to type so they go back to the basics they go back to your your minor pentatonic yeah. you've only got to go, go, go and watch the average pub band you know and the, and the guy's got sort of licks in the first position Ooh, turn me and the then, then move it up an octave type thing yeah <laughs> and you might sort of oh, plug you in yeah that's a good plan <laughs>
0: So we can compare compare the, the uh, level of mastery, yeah?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. Okay. So, a lot of people know a few licks are sort of down here. And then they might have a little bit of vocabulary, maybe sort of into the sort of second position, second which is a bit <laughs> like an extension of. Often, then, a great expanse of fretboard that's sort of left to to do nothing. <laughs>
0: Move from one to the other.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. <clears throat> uh, there's lots of approaches you can have to soloing over a blues. I kind of look at scales a bit a bit like flavours. Yeah. In a way, what kind of sound do I want to produce? You know, what kind of flavour is this scale going to bring to the the party? Yeah, you know, where to
0: can, keep things interesting, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also to keep things different because it's not necessarily that that compli- complicated is always the answer. Uh, I had a very interesting conversation actually with Johnny, who's a, a drummer I work with, also a school teacher. Ah, right. And he was talking about this. Um, I can't remember what drummer it was, but this this guy was giving a masterclass, and he was a real technical guy. And this sort of pupil, this student in this class, kind of put his hand up and so sort I of said, what, what do you think of Ringo Starr? <clears throat> and he put on a Beatles backing track, and he basically did rolls and fills and everything all over it. And then he said to the kid, was that, was that good, was that appropriate? And the kid said, no, it's just, just, just like whizzing on a Picasso, it's just wrong. And he said, right, there's your answer. He said, the one thing that Ringo had going for him, although he may be technically simplistic, is he always played to the song. And he always played what was required. Mm. And if that means playing something complicated, then by all means, play it. If you can't add anything to the party, and actually you might even make things worse by not leaving a little space and playing something simple, then strip things back. Yeah. So... Pentatonic. Often we end up using a whole bunch of sort of regular licks from the pentatonic, and we we miss out on the fact that the pentatonic has some really cool things going for it. For one, it's got an even amount of notes on each string. Now that makes those sequence licks that we've looked at, those kind of things, quite mindless. I suppose. It's all about where you, you fit them in. So I've got a slightly oh, different it. pattern going yeah. on. <laughs> because there's a sort of a da da do da do do da do Yeah. And you've got no force. Yeah. You can you can if you want sort of expand that if you've got the neck for it um, to make it a three-string three-note string pattern, but going down in fours. So that no, gets kind of complicated then. In fact, in the key of A, it's a bit of an awkward register. Maybe <laughs> oh, yeah, put it so, in the key of E. It?
0: Per string to two notes per string. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Please don't though. I've ah. um, got reverted to the other one. I'll practice that later, I think.
1: It's kind of a cool way of looking at it. It was, um, I nicked it off a Paul Gilbert video, and Paul Gilbert nicked it off Sean Lane. Was amazing, uh, isn't uh, it? Uh, incredible. <laughs> he was an incredible, incredible player. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely stonking.
0: Um, okay, I'll look at that at home. So it's three notes per string, and then two two notes per string, three notes per string, two notes uh, two notes per string, three notes per string. It sort of yields good, a slightly yeah. different
1: sound when you're pulling off sort of several notes. You'll probably, you probably once you get it up to speed, you probably play it a bit quicker.
0: Cool. Yeah. yeah. I was, so I was, when I when I was thinking about the the, I was doing it. Was I doing it in E? I think I was E seven, A seven, and B seven. Mm-hmm. Um. I was I was I was thinking like the the, the E major's got your, your uh, G sharp in it. Oh, okay. The, with you. I, I was I was thinking of those notes that mm-hmm. aren't in the E minor pentatonic as well. And then it's like retaining that information and working out which to do, which to use. So then so, I started thinking, do I go for the Mixolydian mm-hmm. and then change the Mixolydian? What kind of approach is the best? Okay,
1: this is, this is quite an interesting one, because talking about sort of scales as being kind of flavours, it was interesting when you hit the, fl- the, the flat five, When you're playing the E lick, like oops, blues note. (laughs) But you can obviously bring that in. You can you can use that even on sort of quite you know tricky licks like that. If you're if you're sort of skipping a, you know.
0: Yeah, it sounds good. uh, You know.
1: Then you kind of there's a few a few little easy tricks. We'll, we'll, We'll definitely.
0: Yeah, we were definitely
1: gonna revisit what you asked me about just a second ago. Yeah, I okay. haven't forgotten, but um, there are a few easy tricks that people don't always pick up on, and one of them is that blues note is, is often when we play regular blues licks because blues licks are kind of like generically handed down things you know they're almost like little family heirlooms that have been passed on by other (laughs) guitar players you know Eric Clapton stole my licks man yeah
0: Yeah. (coughs) us guitarists are all thieves oh (laughs) we're
1: absolutely a bunch of thieves and we've heard we've all heard the licks a million times before yeah all that kind of stuff um yep They are kind of like a useful trick bag within which to dip and kind of sort of take some of those licks and then sort of use them, do something interesting with them, you know, bring them out as necessary. Hmm. You know, so they are kind of like your building blocks of your basic kind of playing over a blues. But there are some things which are quite easy to do that people kind of miss one of them is actually using that blues note but instead of doing what we do when we learn these licks where we pass through it so quickly
2: because
1: yeah. we don't want anyone hearing the nasty note so we kind of
0: skip past it yeah because on your previous previous um, um, run down the neck you finished on the blues note and let it ring and it's yeah. like pretty interesting
1: <laughs> I like that, that's good so it's a little, a little bit of a different a different take on it the reason people tend to swing through it is because technically it's an outside note
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Guffrey Govan was once asked about outside playing so when we're stepping outside of the regular scale it may be even key that we would use and he was saying for one the only point in doing it really is if you, if you like that sound but he said it's quite likely, you know, if you've played the blues scale, that you've played that sound. You've played a note that falls outside. You know, that is not yeah. usually considered a particularly nice sounding interval, but things don't always have to sound nice to be cool. Yeah. So, using the blues note as a one which is a weird one to land on, you could possibly even bend it up. People don't always bend from that blues note, but you can. Or bend from the blues note. Yeah. So you bend to a nice note. (laughs)
0: That's right. Or even run through it from the. Yeah?
1: Or even actually have that blues note sort of bent to like, not the B-flat, if you're in the key of E, but have it bent to the B.
0: So start with it bent to the B and then go down. Yeah. I missed it. I missed it probably easiest
1: to, to kind of pitch if you're bending actually from where you'd fret that blues note so you know that when you come to rest that you're resting yeah okay
0: that's easier that way yeah one, uh, one player
1: who was an incredible player and so he felt so sadly ill was Jason Becker and um he he had a real interesting kind of touch with the guitar, and one of the things that he did, which even many years ago I picked up on, and I thought, oh, oh, that's kind of cool. He would bend from unusual notes to create this kind of slightly like, yeah, you're definitely in tune, but that's a kind of a cool sound. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs>
0: It's an interesting sound, isn't it? So he goes... one of those synth pitch things.
1: There's a story there as well where Jeff Beck used to do the sort of synth pitch wheel impersonations. Ah, okay. Where he would bend a little half step.
0: (laughs) All that kind of stuff. for
1: all that haven't you (laughs) yeah (laughs) never did your question about sort of the chord tones yeah chord tones are actually you know basically the notes that are in chords are a great way of getting yourself out of trouble and they are another really badly missed thing that people just kind of yeah walk by I think most guitarists when they start out and it's completely reasonable why they do it And I think most of us probably, you know, even quite a long way into our playing career are still guilty of it, is in one camp we have rhythm playing, chords you live in that camp, Hmm. and in the other camp we have lead playing, lead playing, you live in that camp, and (laughs) the twain shall meet, we don't talk or anything. and the the problem with that is it's a bit of a dated view I've still had people even in the last couple of years come up to me at gigs and go "Are you the lead or rhythm guitarist I'm the guitarist so is he we play everything if he wants to take a solo he's a great player let him take it if I want to take a solo I'll take a solo and back in the 50s and 60s it wasn't really like that you know bands kind of had like a rhythm player and a lead player um, these days you know a lot of bands especially if they're going and trying to make money they'll often have one guitar player doing it all mm. but I think it sort of maybe comes from that bygone era of, of sort of rhythm living in one camp you're really good with chords you know the sort of Bruce Welch mm. from The Shadows he only ever played rhythm Hank Marvin well, he, he must be better so he plays lead
2: yeah.
1: Um, if you start kind of looking at people like Jimi Hendrix was was one such player. He kind of brought into the the sort of musical domain that idea of crossing things over. I'm sure there are, were many others back then who did the same, but he's one of the guys who really sticks in
0: your mind. With playing chords, singing, and doing the guitar at the same time. Well, yeah, he
1: he would kind of like you take or something like a little wing. Them. You know, he would. Um, <laughs> He'd have these chords going. So you had have these chords, but then you'd have them all broken up. That's better, yeah. So he'd, he'd be playing rhythm. But then he'd do sort of little bits of chords. Yeah. Rather than just churning through... Endless chords. Stevie Ray Vaughan was another one. He's amazing, great player. But again, he would sort of mix in sort of the lead and the and the rhythm kind of together. Now, of course, the minute you do that, although you might not be consciously thinking it, you're borrowing from the chord notes in the chord, and you're kind of applying them to your lead work. You must mm-hmm. be. Because you're doing a mixture of maybe sort of double stops and chord type things and... Otherwise and you wouldn't play. hear the chords. Well, you're exactly, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're borrowing from those notes in those chords. Now, when we then get to the sort of you're in the rhythm camp, you're in the lead camp thing, it's like they are mutually exclusive. And that then means that you've got a set of scales and a set of chords and finding the connection is just that little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you can see the two as living under the same roof, it kind of makes things a lot easier to kind of understand. Yeah. So when you're looking at playing over a blues and you're looking at borrowing from the notes in the chords, and your question was, well, what do I, what do, I do if I'm playing a mixed Lydian scale? How do I then apply that?
0: Yeah, it, it's it's that, it's... The if you're playing over an E7 A7 B7 you're sort of playing the minor pentatonic blues but you can jump into the major pentatonic as well mm. and in the major pentatonic you've got the the major thirds haven't you and everything it's just there's a lot of things I think with those with that blues playing that you mm. can throw at it and there, I know that you'll be able to simplify it all for I hope me I so. <laughs> there, there's an
1: irony I've always felt and I've felt this for yeah. a long long time I always am staggered and amazed at how many different approaches you can have over a simple kind of 12 bar as you say E7, A7, B7 kind of 12 bar yeah. progression and when you look at it there are quite a few notes that either either are sort of staggeringly out of kilter but kind of work like, like the flattened fifth so B flat over E so your blues note basically yeah. and then there are other notes that would seemingly clash with the chord. So if you if you're play an E7, so it's made up of E, B, yeah. D, and G sharp, yet you can happily play a G natural over it. Yeah. And an A. Which is in the both, minor, isn't it? Yeah. Both mm-hmm. diametrically opposed to the G sharp that's sitting in the middle of it. Um, how does that work? Well, the funny thing is that although blues is quite easy to get your head around from a playing perspective from a theoretical perspective it's probably one of the first things that people learn in terms of lead playing yeah yeah they don't realise they're already kind of playing outside of the box a little bit because of the amount of notes that technically don't work but if you took an E flat scale and played it like carte blanche over a four progression in E it would sound awful so why is it then my yeah. question to you that yeah, certain okay. notes that are out are in and
0: certain other notes that are out are most definitely out right okay so, <laughs> and this is kind of I guess where you're hitting the, my my issue I guess really it's like how does that work how does that play into it, you know, I mean if you're playing in an E7 then you you're dominant, you've got a dominant chord anyway but then that's just still you sh- the G sh- shouldn't really work because it's a minor it'll work
1: nicely over the A because an A7 that 7th note in the, in the ah, key of yeah. A is,
0: is G dominant 7th shouldn't really work over the B but is it because you've got the other chords in your mind as well while you're or, or you should there are certain notes that you'd avoid as as well it's it's the chord changes i suppose that allow you to do it i suppose it's a bit like
1: hmm how can i put it <clears throat> there's some things you can say that like technically you really really shouldn't say but will always be taken as a joke and always laughed off yeah There's other things in certain circumstances that if you said them... To be. You'd get a quality beat. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) Well, it's the same kind of thing with notes. There are some notes which present themselves as essentially instantly opposed to the notes in the chords. Now, for us guitarists, learning this simple sort of Mm -hmm. Mm two-note-per-string pentatonic scale seems like, you know... Mm. you know, when you first play guitar and you learn that and you start to play a little bit of lead, you feel like a million bucks. Yeah. But ironically, in that little nugget of, of, of pentatonic goodness, therein lies a whole hornet's nest once you start doing some digging. Because whereas if we were playing over, a I'd say, a minor key, like like a true kind of minor chord progression like say we've got all of the the chords that you would find in, in the key of a minor you know we've got a minor and we've got b diminished and c d minor yeah. e minor f and g and then we superimpose onto that the the a minor natural mm. minor scale it all kind of slots together if it, you played H major it would do. it fits together like a lego set yeah. You know, and the same with the major key. Now, while you can always do quirky things and you can always bend the rules a little bit, with things like the minor pentatonic scale, it's kind of bent the rules before it's even bolted out of the gate. <laughs> you know, it, that it's learned. the first thing you've learned, and it's already bending the rules on you. Yeah. You know, whereas with the major and minor scales, you know, you would learn those scales, and learn how they fit over the chords, and you learn that all of the same notes that you find in in the chords will appear in those scales, and that then is the key. That's the pool of notes we're drawing from. How easy is that? That all fits together, nice and neat and tidy. And along comes five notes of the pentatonic scale and blows it all to bits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, the question would be easier if it was over a shuffle, because that naturally leaves out the whether it's minor or major, doesn't it? But
1: Well, a shuffle is a rhythm. So yeah. it would be dependent on your chord. If you're using a fifth chord, like a like a a power chord. Yeah, that's what I'm I mean. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yes. that's more open to interpretation it, it, it was Joe Satriani who very wisely confirmed what I'd always known all along many years ago where he said the more chords you add into a chord progression the more you close down what you can play over the top of them
2: yep.
1: now let's think about that for a second you know ok there are songs out there which are made of three chords or four chords or whatever but quite a few songs maybe change the chords for the chorus and chop them up and change them and mix it up a bit Blues, although you can do as we've looked at in the past, sort of gospel changes and all these other interesting things, yeah. our good old fashioned twelve bar blues traditionally consists of three chords. And the only differences that we might make to those chords is maybe we'll turn them into sevenths. We could turn them into ninths or thirteenths or whatever, but that wouldn't really change anything. Yeah. We'd still be left essentially with a fairly straightforward major chord.
0: And one, three one four five chords.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So playing over that, you've already sort of opened the floodgates
0: by only giving someone three chords, and it's already broken the rules because in you know, a one four seven you wouldn't have a dominance. The dominant sevens where they are, would you? No. So,
1: it, you know, in a traditional major scale, that's right. The whole, the whole I've situation. I've never
0: really properly got my head round this. I think, and I bet a lot of people were in... In my position on that as well okay let's let's try and get your head around it
1: sometimes with music we can think about things and that kind of qualifies it for us we kind of go all right I'm gonna write it out on a piece of paper I'm gonna think about it I'm gonna yeah right that mathematically works yeah and music is kind of like maths a lot of the time for the theoretical stuff I think most people would agree on that yeah you know if you could if you're pretty good at maths and you have a reasonable grasp of English, you should be able to understand music theory if somebody explains it to you properly. However, when we get down to the nitty-gritty, when the notepads are put away, and we have to play, we're in a different place. Because then it's all about the sounds that we want to make. Now, earlier I mentioned about that odd flat 5... Yep. it has a kind of an odd sound to it doesn't it yeah but it kind of works um, if we harped on it for a long long time maybe it would become grating but although it's out of tune it's a kind of it's an out of tune we can cope with
0: start a black Sabbath isn't it also <laughs> <What? laughs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe not that one um.
1: yeah that's the one isn't yeah, it yeah. Yeah. yeah so when you <clears throat> when you have notes which create a friction or a tension even though they may technically be out of tune you can't just grab any old out of tune note and hope for the best mm. there are some which have a kind of tension that works Maybe it's partly acclimatisation, so we we've got used to certain sounds. Yep. Maybe You're that's yeah, yeah. Maybe that's sort of some of it. Um, you know, your your ear definitely likes certain things. You know, I remember the first time I heard John Scofield, I, I told my guitarist, "I'll oh, turn it off. It sounds horrible." Um, it was it just just sounded awful to me. Yeah, John Scofield was an amazing player. Yeah, I didn't like jazz
0: when I first heard it and
1: it's great on me <laughs> yeah it sounded, it sounded like six guys falling down the stairs with their instruments <laughs> strapped <laughs> we still have we still have an ongoing like joke in the, in the band I played where we still do like faux jazz <laughs> is, that, is
2: that
1: even faux jazz? <laughs> it's a real thing man yeah um, but no I, I, I heard John Schofield and I was like oh man harsh harsh sounding licks really odd sound loads of chorus on it and these really angular licks mm. and I remember my teacher saying to me at the time I remember Brian was saying to me he said you don't understand it right now but you will wise words and very wise because <laughs> I wasn't sure if I believed him I was like oh, am I ever going to like that but then I kind of got it I kind of got it eventually I understood what he meant that you know, sometimes things need to have a friction to them. They they need to be weird. Weird is sometimes good, mm. but it doesn't necessarily you mean that you need to live in a world of weird. You know, you you need something to, for people nice to, to latch on to, to the n-
0: normality as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I
1: remember Guthrie Govin talking about a diminished lick that he was showing people, and he was saying, you know, after all of those nasty notes, we want a nice mm. note, and that's kind of you know, I guess a bit of the the philosophy, if we harp on the notes that create tension mm. then maybe that's gonna become unpleasant for a whole song. But if we use that tension and then return to a nice mm. note, it's like relief after the not so nice note. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. For yeah. Like tension and release, yep. as it were. So you often hear for example, people playing say the G note <laughs> in the Pentatonic, I'm bending up and resolving to the E. So we're then sort of using it, using a bit more over the A.
0: bending from the G to the G sharp on the E or even a little quarter tone so you're almost sort of
1: teasing at it but it's that E which kind of provides the release after the odd sounding G or slightly sharp G because
0: I I always heard it in Eric Clapton's uh, which one was it in particular was it Crossroads or I think it was in Crossroads he does it a lot doesn't he He plays from the minor third to the major third it's quite, never, it, it's quite nice now to know what he was doing, <clears throat> what he's doing. But it's just good to know when it's best to put it in that kind of thing, isn't it? When you use notes as passing notes, yeah,
1: it's a slightly different kind of game that we're playing. So if we're using actual, if you're talking about like notes we're gonna use, notes that people are definitely gonna pick out, yeah. and they're gonna hear, like you, if you use the B flat in the key of A. ...from the minor pentatonic... ...and you pick that note out... ...it's going to sound discordant. Yeah. And if discordant is what you want... ...then that's a good note to pick. If you want discordant... ...but with a nice, easy resolve... ...take that B-flat note... ...let people hear it... ...and then bend it up to a B-note. Yep. Or, if you want people to have it... ...as like a little flavour in there, but I remember I talked about scales as like flavours, they all have different kind of vibe about them, a different sound, a different flavour to them, Yeah. you can add in the B flat on top of your minor pentatonic, thus turning it into a blues scale, as like a little flavour, a little thing that people don't really acknowledge as a note that you're harping on, there's a world of difference between me
0: going... And me going, yeah, a, maybe not threatening
1: but it's got a yeah. There's a difference between me playing that kind of line, which is a you know, I guess a bit more John Schofield-esque, those sort of angular yeah. and harping on that note so people can really hear it. You know, you want people to hear the discordancy. You want them to go, Oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> But there's a difference between that and passing through it. So when we do that, it's more like a... You know, it's more like, not, not an effect as such, but it, it like it, it, it makes its presence a little softened, a little less felt. You're, you're kind of hearing the vibe of that bluesiness, but you're not hearing the discordancy that it really is, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Just in the same way that when you bend that G slightly sharp in the key of E... Yeah, you're sort of hinting at the, the lick moving on somewhere That's a, that's a somewhere nice lick, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Just that.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, if you're if you're talking about the mix of Lydian things that we keep meaning to get back to, yes,
0: yeah.
1: <clears throat> If we're, if we're using the Mixolydian scale over blues changes, we would usually change along with the chord. Yeah. So if we're changing from the E up to the A, we go from E Mixolydian, which is the same as playing A major but starting on E. Yep. And then you'd move up to the A, which would give you D Mixolydian. And then for the B, um, you'd have B Mixolydian... Um, let me get this straight so the first one would be A major over E so A major starting on E giving you A mixolydian over A for A mixolydian you would play D major starting on A and E major starting on B for the B mixolydian so it would change with your chord yeah okay now how you choose to change it is up to you so you can do you can do it as in actually physically shifting positions. Not the most sophisticated way of working, but it works. Yeah. So like if you were here, so
0: seventh fret the E Mixolydian.
2: Yeah.
0: I tend to go three notes per string for Mixolydian just because I, I've got that pattern best okay. in my head. But I mean it's probably. That's probably a whole other story again. But uh, the way I choose
1: fingering is is dependent on what I want to do. If I want to really gun it, if I want to really go for it and pull the pin, three-note string makes a whole lot of sense because
0: obviously you can then do. Yeah, follows a nice symmetrical pattern if you like, doesn't it? I suppose. So if you if
1: you're going to pull the pin, it's great. Not always so great, I think, for maybe sort of finding nice licks and vibrato. You know, if I was sort of doing that, I'd probably use almost like an extension of the B blues scale, if you be my pentatonic scale, you know, as if I'm playing B okay. Dorian. Yeah.
0: Yeah that's what that's where I'm where I'm at now, I've got that. Yeah. Uh, actually you can see the um you can see the E minor and the E major pentat- well, the E minor pentatonic in there quite well. And
2: the E
0: major pentatonic as well, eh? So you've got both in there, haven't you? Yeah. Well, what you could
1: do around that area, I mean you if you want to get clo sort of clever on it, is you can swing between your Mixolydian. <laughs> Yep. Into your
2: pentatonic.
1: So I should have started off with the exhalidian.
2: Into
1: pentatonic. then. That? No, 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 no. That's how cheeky little G bent up a quarter tone. Ah, there you go. When we come back, then slip back into the, the major.
0: So go down to the minor.
2: And
0: then play that. Sharp. So sharp. So over the E7 chord, you'd flick from the E mixolydian, the E minor pentatonic, the E major pentatonic. You have the option. And there's lots of options there. Yeah. There's lots of options. <laughs>
1: Now, talking of the, the sort of playing outside bit and nice. thinking about B-flat, there's nothing stopping you kind of bridging the gap between a few notes. And sort of kind of... That B-flat there, yeah. So I've got F-sharp, G, G-sharp. so 7, 8, and 9 there.
0: actually <laughs> I think one of the things I really I want to take away as well is the um, uh, you know trying to get the mixolydian in not as a three note per string thing I think that's maybe mm-hmm. maybe closing me down a bit so I'm not seeing the other patterns the same I think yeah I find with and that help with the
1: fingering you use um, there's always more than one way to skin a cat yeah they say, uh, and there's always <laughs> always different um, approaches yeah. that can work depending on not what you're Not like solo sound, like, like
0: <laughs> skinning <and> cats. But, <laughs> yeah. Ear yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, battering, as it's yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Um, that's all
1: good. I always feel when people are starting out that the easiest way is to look at it from the point of view of the minor pentatonic shape one. So are oh, you on first position around the 12 and 15? Yep. Yep. Because then you can adjust things. So if you... Right well, now we've got major pentatonic. Yep. Yeah. Now if you've got the major pentatonic, yeah. you've got the outline for your mixed Playing the minor and the major over each other as such. Well, like yeah, so like say you've got the minor pentatonic. Well, we know yeah, that. I've well, blues is just kind of a bolt on of the B flat to that, isn't it?
2: And,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, when we then turn it into a major pentatonic, twelve and fourteen on the low string, followed by eleven and fourteen on the A, and the same again on the D, eleven and thirteen on the G. Twelve and fourteen, and twelve and fourteen on the top two.
2: Yeah.
1: That now gives us the outline of the Mixolydian. Yep. Yeah. Or the E major. You you choose. How do you want to fill the notes in? Yeah. So right. So now to bridge the gap, anywhere you've got a three fret jump, and also some places you haven't, you stick some extra notes. So now going from low to high. E string got 12 14 11 12 and 14 on the a yeah 11 12 14 on the D 11 13 14 on the G 12 14 and 15 on the B and then 12 and 14 on the top E extend it to the 16 should you so desire <laughs> Have the extra note in for the, for oh, the yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, 13, 14. and then you have mixolydian. Yeah, gotcha. So if you then take that down to the fifth fret, you've got mixolydian right. in A. Gotcha. Or in B, if you start on the
2: seventh,
0: which covers the position we were just playing for the E mixolydian as well, which is. Right. So then smart, you're isn't it? And then yeah well in the ballpark, yeah.
1: Okay. now the smart guy or the guy with more time on his hands <laughs> <laughs> you, you choose yeah. kind of knows how to switch between all of them and also here's another thing I don't want to fry your brain have you ever thought about cross referencing scales Don't know. What does that mean? In, our, right. in the same way that, that you know every major has a relative minor. So if we know D major, we also know B minor. Yeah. We, the, the notes are shared. They've got a different starting note and finishing note, but uh, the, actual and the notes modes sp- and everything. Yeah. Right. So if we know E Dorian, E Dorian any Dorian scale is taken from two frets down the major scale two frets lower than the key we're in yeah. so E Dorian is the same as D major yeah. well D major is also the same as A mixolydian
0: right okay
1: so thinking on oh, that if you
0: know this that's a good,
1: that's a good nugget
0: yeah. isn't it
1: <laughs> so if you've got mixolydian in E change to the A slip into the Dorian you've only got to misplace one note
0: so,
2: it's
0: that one isn't it, That's the one. one, the G.
1: Now, also, if you kind of like that sound over the E, there's nothing to stop you playing that over the E as well as an extension of your minor pentatonic and your blues. Yeah. If that all works out with the middle just melody be careful on the,
0: on the G, I guess.
1: Um, on, the, on G, the G, I no. mean, usually the G. You know, you it's the fri- it's a friction that kind of works, and actually, it's a lot less um, dodgy to tiptoe around than hanging off the B flat. In many yeah. respects, it's a lot less in your face. Um, when you, cho- when you move to the B that's when you, you run into a few more issues so when you move to the B obviously you're going to need to move that mixolydian up so you're now going to need to play E major yep. so you could take your Dorian mode and just shunt it up two frets if it was D major before and you need E major by putting it up a couple of frets Just like we had um, Dorian, but we want it in D. So imagine you're playing Dorian in F sharp, basically. Okay. And then doctor the notes as appropriate.
0: Yeah, because then we'll be playing the B mixolydian.
1: Yeah. Or you you can, you know, cross-referencing back again, you can take your initial A major, yep. which is you know, the the notes which you're gonna use in E Dorian, basically it's A major, yep. and then just displace the D for a D sharp, and then you've got E. <laughs>
0: Like B mixed religion, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, E major, but B mixed religion, So we just start yeah. with the B. Okay, yeah. Because that's the thing about the B in your 12 bar as well, isn't it? it you're not on there very long, <laughs> usually. Like, no, maybe twice not. for the turn round. I mean,
1: this is where, like, like you were saying about using the the notes in Cord the chords. This works well and play plays. To those sort of strengths. Yeah. Which is another excuse to, to kind of get to know your chord shapes. You know, if you want to play over the the. Yeah. the, the, the do you bit. Want to give you some, some. like yeah, have you worked, uh, Yeah, let's. Uh, I, I can just
0: for that if you want. It. Yeah, let's do that. Just B 7s A7s, and B7s, yeah? Yeah, let's try it. shuffle. maybe um, maybe give us a couple of licks then yeah uh, to so I've, I think I got that mixolydian stuff a little bit more in my mind uh, so and 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 how the Dorian fits in as well particularly I hadn't seen that it was the minor Dorian was the A mixolydian I just hadn't thought about that but I should have done <laughs> really it's one of yeah. those things is it, it's one of the little nuggets that
1: gets missed yeah but the, the, the easier you can find it to cross reference one scale with another because we all see things differently it's like i have heard m- modes as being described as you know like you might get D dorian yeah you might get it's the second mode of the c major scale yeah you you might get it's c you know c major starting on d and ending on d yeah there's lots of ways of describing it and lots of ways of looking at it when I started out I found it an awful lot easier to kind of reference minor scales I think probably because that's what guitarists tend to play you know I know we do play major stuff too but at the time I was into rock and I was into metal and all that kind of thing and you know it's pretty sort of minor exclusive yeah you know with the odd exception Um, you know and then you do get a few modal things coming in and out So, you sort of see scales in a certain light, you see them in a certain way. So, I learned E minor before I learned G major, which may seem a bit arse about face. But the the bottom line is that when I came to learn G major, I learned it as well. Oh, yeah, it's E minor starting on a G. Yeah. So, being able to kind of sort of cross reference in your mind and then pick the thing which is most obvious to you really kind of helps. Yeah, okay. You that know. makes sense Yeah. I mean also I think there's a psychological thing that you know when you say A hey, Dorian you're thinking of playing it over the A chord sorry A Mixolydian apologies you're thinking of playing it over the A chord you're not thinking of playing it over the E chord
0: yeah whereas actually, whereas if of... you did play over the E chord you'd be doing E Dorian yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. and so you're like actually sort of knowing that and being aware of that yeah that's a really you know thing. kind of like makes you think well, oh yeah I, I can actually use that over that yeah. The rogue, if anything, is the B. That's the one that kind of steps away from some of the other notes,
0: but it's still not that far removed. Okay. Oh, that's good. Licks. Yeah, let's Did get a couple might, of licks, and then I, and then I'll, I'll attempt to put them into into you a, jam some distortion. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, yeah, actually, on tone, I've got a, for those people that aren't here, <laughs> I've got a. Uh, Les Paul and we've done a lot about tone and stuff oh that's my favourite subject that Clapton tone wasn't it um eight on the on the neck pickup and then uh, two or am I getting confused might have been there,
1: there, there was one where you remember. kind of max out one pickup and then turn the tone down the other yeah, I think it was sort well. of like the woman tone light yeah. Yeah. yeah where you blend in a bit of bridge pickup yeah, yeah
0: okay so I've got the uh, I've got my bridge pick up down to two at the moment and my uh, neck pick up at eight, yeah? Yeah. And I've got tone, i just set them both to the middle. Where would you recommend for a nice tone on the old blues? And I know that obviously that depends whether you're playing it clean or distorted or whatever, but just a little bit on that maybe before It's we...
1: tricky because I've just ripped through blues. a blues with quite a rock-tastic tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a tricky one, I suppose. For for blues, we t- we tend to go for kind of warmer sorts of sound because we're not always so, using as, as much gain. Yeah. Like when it comes to blues, I mean, you can if that's what you know floats your boat. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but because we tend to go in a little bit more, carry gently, more. <laughs> carry more why not? Yeah. Um. You know, it, because we tend to use a bit more gain, we're also looking for a little bit of
0: clarity. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, But clarity with warmth. Yeah. What I tend to do when I'm setting my tones up is I kind of listen to the sound that my guitar is making, because most guitars have a capacitor over the tone control or over the volume control or both. Um, And so when we're winding the tone, winding the volume down, it thins out a little. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if you if you wanna go for that kind of Robin Ford thing, you might want the tone that sort of <laughs> <laughs> uh, four either, either, either both pickups or or possibly the middle with the two on together. Robin Ford was known for that sort of sweet bridge pickup sound <laughs> <and> <laughs> tone rolled off.
2: <on. laughs>
1: You kind know, of warm, it's still a bridge pickup. Bridge pickup. Right down.
0: That's right, isn't
2: it?
1: Yeah. Oh. So yeah, probably on a Lesbold down to about like three or four or something. I'm on three
0: there. Yeah, maybe a bit, maybe, maybe a, maybe a, bit a more. T- touch more, bring Yeah, there you go. Sitting out there. Round right about the two. So
1: that's kind of like my,
0: my Robin Ford sound, yeah.
1: <laughs> For anyone who might be listening on playing a suit of Guthrie Gaver's signature, yeah. that's not <laughs> the world's, a beautiful world's beautiful guitar, it is. <laughs> it is a beautiful guitar, it's not, not the yeah. world's bluesiest, though. Kind of like a classic rock vibe too. If you're talking Gary Moore, I guess, nice, round, rotund neck pickup sounds are in order, probably on a Les Paul you want to max out the tone on the neck pickup. Max pick out, out
0: the tone, yeah. On the, the neck, the, sorry.
1: And the volume. Yeah, because Les Pauls usually come with a slightly weightier bass response on the neck. <laughs> so my <laughs> to tone's down to five, Les.
0: Oh, right, okay. So I'm my, my maxed out. picks up the picks up any uh, mistakes
2: for it
0: it's very unforgiving. Yeah that's the neck production that's
1: that's yeah so it, it really is very much guitar sort of specific
0: yeah
1: yeah if you were going for the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing probably like a neck single coil
0: there you
1: there you're on you On simple. that and I've activated the single call yeah. side of the handbow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he, he I, I guess I can't like, really touch that on a Les Paul because it, it'd be a slightly,
1: slightly tougher tone to get on a Les Paul. Yeah. I mean, through a slightly more reactive amp, you might you might do a little bit better. You know, some of Les yeah. Pauls have a fair amount of chime. Mine's got a fair bit of chime in the top end. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, but like yeah, you, tone it, maybe? you you do you do find with Stevie Ray Vaughan he he had more gain than you realise. He used a tube screamer through a Fender amp. which sounds like, I'm not even a Tube Screamer overdrive, pill, it seems like a very odd combination. You think, who does that? Yeah. (laughs) But the Tube Screamers that he was using at the time, and most of them today even, have quite a mid-hump in their EQ. And then you get a Fender amp, Fender Twin amp or whatever, he was using tends to have a bit of a scoop in the mids, so one kind yeah. of complements the other, which is why his sound sounded sort of quite nicely overdriven, but quite a balanced sort of tone. You know, the trebles weren't harsh, the mid range wasn't too soupy, and the bottom end was there without being sort of kind of like booming and nasty.
0: Yeah. And his
1: sound was still very very stratty.
0: Yeah.
1: You know. So you know, there's there's those sorts of tones. Yeah. You know. But then you get, you, you know, it depends on the sound that you're you're looking for. I always think it's, it's a good idea to kind of reference other people's sounds. Yeah, that, Be that able to know how to get them. You know, if you're a studio guy. Let's say know. a claps and... A, claps a and woman tone. tone. Yeah. I mean, he's typical...
0: Clap- or, or Crossroads or something like that, I suppose. Or... Okay. Interesting, this one. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I'm trying to get that sound through a Les Paul mm. that's on a Strat, so... I guess. Well,
1: I'm going to I'm going to walk you briefly through the the situation when it comes to yeah. Eric Clapton. The, the sounds that I most liked that he got were the sounds on the John Mayles Blues Breakers album. I think it was yeah, the I best like. tone he ever had. It's a '60s, I think, early '60s Les Paul standard, played through a Marshall JCM45, I think it was, which was like a, I'm sure it was a two by twelve, not two by ten combo, but it was like whatever wattage it was but he he wound it up and then I think he used a I'm not sure which treble booster he used I'm sure there's some geeks out there that will tell us but yeah. he used a treble booster now treble boosters are not quite the same as a clean booster now I use a clean booster in my rig and it, it does a, a very good job treble boosters tend to add if you want to depending on how you set them some upper kind of um, top end harmonics so you listen to somebody like Brian May he's got quite a it's harmonically rich tone mm. and that, that'll that be partly his gear that he's using and be partly the the treble booster probably adding its own kind of fairy dust onto the sound um, but there they're not they are a bit of circuitry in themselves they're not just a clean boost uh, but he used that into into the Marshall via the Les Paul Right, now for the, the woman tone, I think was literally neck pickup tone all the way off. A tone which I occasionally use myself.
0: So tone all the way
1: off. Am I there.
0: Yeah. Maybe and if you slightly. use sort of,
1: yeah, roll back the volume, say you sort of hey, maybe even Never a little bit further. You, you got such a soupy sound with that combination of rolling the tone off and the neck pickup on a lens you're gonna forward just sort of roll that volume back yep. a little bit and ease up the gain a bit, a bit so it doesn't get too messy. So tones right down, I'm down to about four. Roll it off, I've got mine all rolled off, but you know. yeah. Right, well, I see.
2: much
0: enough to make it sing it's about there isn't it yeah yeah i'm at about three or four yeah somewhere around there it's it cool.
1: gives you a very very thick sound you, you don't always realize on right, a unless you're playing through quite a bright amp yeah how much the tone control on the neck pickup is affecting things but it is Yeah. It may not be kind of like as glaringly obvious as how the tone control affects the bridge pickup, but it's there. Yeah. And you'll notice it in terms of note separation and clarity and all those sorts of things when you start to roll it off, which is why if you kind of roll off a little bit of the the volume as well, just to ease the game back... (laughs) <laughs> so we're pretty much there with that sound. Interestingly, the crossroads that you're referring to, I believe, was when was a live version when Cream played the Albert Hall. Yeah. And as I understand it, he used a three three five for that. Right. Okay. Three three five is quite a different beast, obviously being semi hollow, and also it's got quite a large portion of maple in its construction which makes it inherently brighter no bad thing if you're going to go and sort of roll
0: the tone off a lot of things
1: that's that
0: kind of jazzy one isn't it the jazzy
1: yeah I mean, a lot of people use it for sort of rock and roll and blues they're, they're yeah. supposed to be quite a good all rounder actually because you get quite a sparkling for humbuckers quite a sparkling clean sound if you've got kind of vintage humbuckers in there because maple kind of gives you a little bit more snap and a little bit yeah. more chime Okay. So the body is largely made of maple, I think the neck is as well. And then you've got rosewood for the fingerboard. But that will definitely make a difference. You know, if you hear a Les Paul, you know, which is mahogany, traditional mahogany maple, then mahogany neck with a rosewood fingerboard, and then you hear an SG there is a difference. They did a very interesting thing, Anderson's shop in Guildford, had a little video where they were looking at a Les Paul Custom and the Les Paul Custom light. Now, I go on the YouTube and I hunt around and okay, everyone's. has the their difference own. between them and? <clears throat> well, so many people kind of like do say, oh, it's only the pickups that make a difference. I, I disagree. I realise every guitar is different, and so it's almost it's almost an impossible argument. Yeah, you know because no pieces, no two pieces of wood are identical. No pickups are identical. They're wound on the same machines, but you know you you still might have a few extra turns here and there, and there'd be little differences in a handmade pickup. Yeah. However, there are certain rules that seem to carry across, and interestingly, they had a Les Paul custom. Okay, it's a custom shop, but the the actual building materials are not a million miles apart. They might be slightly nicer quality, but timbers still generally sort of carry similar qualities of you know tonal qualities and then they had the custom light, which looks very similar, but it's a thinner body, and that's the main difference. It's a thinner body and it's a gibson u s a guitar, not the custom shop, right okay, but even so.
0: Quite a big pick difference up. on the wallet, I imagine.
1: Yeah, a huge it. difference yeah. on the wallet, yeah. So yeah. I think one, one comes in at sort of about three and a half grand and, and one weighs in at about 1300 quid. So one's bad yeah. manager friendly and one isn't. Yeah. But the pickups are identical, the switching is identical. They use decent quality pots in the USA guitars, so there's nothing wrong there. But the custom sounded fatter by quite a country mile. And while they're in the same ballpark, one sounded like a Les Paul with some of the sort of bottom end and mids removed and one of them sounded like a Les Paul custom. Yeah. So, yeah, there are there are differences from guitar to guitar and you have to recognise that when you're dialing in some of these sounds. Some guitars are very much players' guitars and they, you know, they may require more or less tweaking from the guitar itself to get the sound that you're after. Um, I have a Sur Strat and there's no capacitor over the volume control. It's the Scott Henderson model and that's the way he likes it. The advantage with that is when you back the volume control off just a little bit, maybe a notch and a half, although you don't lose hardly any gain, the whole sound softens and has a kind of a vintagey kind of vibe to it. It's you know, very comparable to the 60s Strat upon which it's modelled. You maintain um, that gain. It maintain well, the game, but yeah. you, but you're not really you, you know you you lose any of the shrillness, you know. Which strats are obviously sort of quite no, well known for, you know. And I've tried some modern strats that to me just sound like somebody throwing razor blades at you, you, know. And and so with that guitar, you know, you're you're constantly playing with the tones and volumes. It's a balancing act, and it's kind of a fun balancing act. You know, you can get a whole bunch of sounds that way. Time's amazing actually.
0: I've only just started really switching on to that, I think. <laughs> it,
1: it's, a whole, yeah, it's, it's a whole reason to buy yeah. great gear and yeah, <laughs> yeah. swan around in music shops and mind <laughs> the music. I mean, this guitar, for example, the the Guffery, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those guitars that is a tool and it's a very, very good tool and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah and it doesn't misbehave and it doesn't have really any idiosyncrasies which is quite unusual for a signature instrument because often they do you know uh, but as I say with the Strat and also with my Les Paul you can you can use those idiosyncrasies to get a whole bunch of sounds that you can't with other guitars Yeah If I want an easy night I will take this If I'm going to a recording session and I'm just not sure I'm going to a gig and I don't know what I'm going to be put you know asked to do or jam
0: session this is quite a good bet yeah because you can get most most things from it
1: yeah pretty much what do you want
0: yeah
1: you know do you want a telly do you want a strap
0: what do you want it's the, it's the uh it's the trick bag of uh tones isn't it it certainly is you
2: know
1: Yeah, we kind of got that kind of thing going on.
2: More
1: <laughs> straight or more pretty.
0: You got some variation between them. <laughs>
1: It's feel to it, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, all in there. Yeah. So should we... Awesome, let's do it. Would you like to run a backing track and we'll have a yeah, go? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Let's find something in a user-friendly key. There's, uh, oh.
0: there's a few YouTube ones by a guy called Quist. Q-U-I-S-T where he plays a little bit at the beginning I think he's a blues guy he's often touring it seems like he's doing his recordings in hotel rooms and stuff like that but then he's got um, he's got some quite good backing tracks it's always pretty good quality oh it's just taking a while so So I'm going to be going. I'm just going to run through some of this quickly while you're doing that. So I've got the uh, E Dorian. Got a B. I think.
2: Remember the G.
0: And also the B flat. seven which has to use we're saying was e Dorian That's right isn't it? Yeah. It's e
2: Dorian
0: and I'm currently playing on the seventh seventh fret, that's where I'm gonna be aiming my thing, but I'll I may jump up to the twelfth as well and do some stuff in between. And I've got the B. Nice.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's about a minute
0: or so. Is that the three three five E flat, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. From uh, my mistakes as well as uh, your uh, your shredding, nice one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah,
1: no worries. I mean, try and put things into into practice and, and see how they go. I think I think with any musician, it's, it's phrasing it's, and linking it. And phrasing and it, yeah. It's building things bit at a time. Rome wasn't built in a day. And however good you are, you realise there's so much you can learn. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. Sometimes when it comes to sort of those sort of tricky licks, you know, you kind of get into the lick, and then you kind of think, "Oh, I'm improvising. How do I finish this lick?" Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. And, you know. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And over time, you get better at covering over your mistakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's, and a, it that's work. an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, no, that's good. So, always be prepared for a happy accident. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's where some of the best licks come from. Yeah. Okay. You know, sort of, you know be prepared to sort of fail yeah. and, and make a few a few errors but along the way it helps you put things right if you recognize it and also if, if it's something that actually you didn't mean to do but it works I, I read an interview back in the day with rykuda oh, yeah. and he was yeah. talking about some track or other i mean he's great slide flow isn't he Where he was talking about some track he'd he'd done recorded and he'd left his guitar in the studio and some way maybe somebody had knocked the guitar over and picked it up or whatever. But it had been knocked into the seventh tuning. He's had it in open tuning here, it'd been knocked from like <laughs> E to E seventh. And he never kind of thought of doing that really or whatever. And he picked up the guitar to play it. but a slide to the guitar
0: and went, Hey, that's kinda of cool. I'll stick with that for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
1: you know, happy action. I made that work,
0: yeah. Oh, nice one. Thanks very much Dan Alright, brilliant Pleasure as ever.